0: Women Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some tough topics sometimes, and I think today's topic is one of the toughest. Um, We're talking about women and poverty, and our special guest right now is Sihar Khawaja. Am I saying that correctly?
1: Yes, you are, Heather.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Sihar. Is it okay (laughs) if I just call you, Sihar?
1: Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me, Heather. I'm, I'm thrilled to be on your show.
0: Well, great. I think that this is a really important topic. And I think most women that I know of, even if they're doing very well financially, at some point – they have experienced poverty, either as a child or maybe when they were Mm -hmm.
1: first um,
0: uh, out on their own or maybe as a result of marriage problems. Um, Somehow uh, it seems that many women have experienced poverty. And what spurred me to ask you on the show, Sierra, was that I read a study a couple years old and it was out of England, but it said that women experience poverty in a worse way than men. And that made me wonder about Mm -hmm. that. And so I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit about that. But first, let me. follow my manners here. Cihar is from Legal Momentum. (laughs) She's the Gender Justice Fellow, and she focuses on strategies for addressing employment discrimination and advancing gender equality in the workplace. So she's exactly the person that we need for this. She's also an attorney, and she has been with the New York City Housing Authority, where she developed policy on affordable housing. She advised on legislative and regulatory reform, and she ensured legal compliance. So you carried the big stick, huh?
1: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) with a lot of help from others.
0: (laughs) Oh, good, good. Um, Well, thank you. We're delighted to have you with us today, and we're really delighted, I'm really delighted, to be able to talk about women in poverty. Now, I must say that um, some of the feedback that I've had on this, you know, we promote the show uh, for several days before it first airs, and I've gotten some feedback from some people who say, poverty is poverty. Why do you have to make it a feminist issue? how would you address that?
1: Well, I mean, I think based on the data and based on legal momentum's countless conversations with low-income women and our work in this area, I think we can definitively say that women are disproportionately impacted by poverty and inequality. There's really nothing controversial about that. Um, And it's also important to note that the effects cross-cutting they're cumulative and and they can really critically impede mobility out of poverty and i I think it's worth to put it in perspective throwing out some important statistics here that i think we all should find startling so according to 2015 census data sorry according to 2015 census data women are 35 percent more likely to live in poverty than men Um, to drive that home, 35%. That's a substantial differential, Heather. Um, and that's not all. Despite constituting more than half of the college graduates in this country right now, women are still more than twice as likely as men to work in low wage occupations. And there are more than two thirds of minimum wage workers are women.
0: Wow. Okay. I've got some questions about that. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and
0: and I've had serious, I mean, I, I do consider myself a feminist. I, you know, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to, um, I'm just trying to um, play a little bit of devil's advocate here. When mm-hmm. we talk of there's a big push to get women and, and young women interested in the STEM, science, technology, uh, et cetera, mm-hmm. careers, because those are the ones mm-hmm. that pay well. Mm-hmm. However, it's hard to get them there. Are we, talking, um, are, are we just talking prejudice? Are we talking um, uh, so, social pressure? Or are we just talking that some people like certain kinds of fields more than other people like certain kinds of fields? And I have to say that I have two adult children, one a female, one a male. And before mm-hmm. I had children, I was absolutely 100% certain that the only differences between men and women was our sociological pressure on them. Now, mm-hmm. eh, not so sure.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Wh-
0: you know, why, why Why do we have to push women to get into the higher paying field?
1: Well, I mean, I think there are always going to be multiple factors involved and sure, there are going to be some women who are more interested in, in going into the liberal arts. And, but I think, we are dealing with systemic long-term discrimination and just to give you like a small example um you know one of legal momentum's main areas is pushing for female employment in non-traditional fields and one thing we often see is you know that many of these issues are cross-cutting in terms of discrimination so we also push for uh, you know pregnancy accommodations and um I think a good example here is that of Akima Thompson, who we represented, and she was an NYPD officer. Um, Akima had signed up for a paid prep course to take the sergeant's exam, and this is critical because we want to see women take on leadership roles in non-traditional fields, and when she learned that she was pregnant and her due date was the date of the exam, she made a call to request a makeup test, which was promptly denied. When she advised the city that similar accommodations were provided for other factors, such as religious observances um, and military service, she was, again, denied on the grounds that she did not fall within these enumerated exemptions. And so Legal Momentum stepped in and filed a pregnancy discrimination charge against the city with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and that was in March 2015. And the good news here is that we prevailed, and the city changed its policy to provide for pregnancy-related exemptions. And this was a really important win. Um, but at the same time, it's a reminder that it's really shocking that women have to invest so much time and energy in order to preserve such basic rights that you know are are well, afforded elsewhere. You're,
0: you're- you're talking to a woman who's older than dirt here, and my first job that I applied to out of college, I was married. I got married during college, mm-hmm. and my very first job that I applied to was a radio station, and I sat across this desk, and mind you, I was 20 years old, and I was in a rural mm-hmm. area, so you know I was quite shy, and, and I sat across the desk from this man who saw my wedding ring on my finger and said, why should I hire you? You're just going to get pregnant and leave.
1: hmm and that's something women are
0: fighting against, Yeah, I absolutely, but not in that day you didn't. And I was absolutely adamant, and I said, that is not going to happen. I'm putting a husband through medical school. That's not going to happen. And he said, what are you doing to prevent it? And I carry that story with me, and
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: told my daughter that story, and I tell anyone who will listen to that story because things are different now. But as you peel back layers, just as with racism and other issues, oftentimes those stories are still out there. They're just not blatant stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think so what, what we were, also, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, so I think that's important for people to to realize. Because for me, I sit there and I go, "Well, if the you know, if she'd had a heart attack on the day of the exam, she would have gotten a makeup. You know, why?" Mm-hmm. You know what? Why the big deal? Because it involved a pregnancy instead of some other issue. You know, I, I don't get that. And yet, those stories are still there, aren't they? Even you know, a hundred years after I experienced my little discrimination thing, they're still there. But that doesn't answer the question about why do we have to push women to go into the higher paying fields?
1: Well, I, I don't necessarily think we have to push them to go into higher paying fields. I think we just need to create the appropriate environment that doesn't okay. discourage them from doing so. And, and I kind of, that was my point is that there's so many inbuilt modalities for discrimination that really preempt women, you know, they're kind of cutting them off Um, At the start and and channeling them in one direction versus another. And we have to consciously remember or think to ourselves, oh, wait, no, I have to fight that. You know, that that shouldn't be the norm. And and I think that's really at the root of it.
0: So In your view, again, you know, I I think from what I'm seeing, and and I'm not working necessarily in the field, but from what I'm seeing, I don't think that young women are experiencing as many uh, lowered expectations. Most of the young women that I know really think that they can do whatever they want um, with Mm -hmm. their careers. Um, So that it used to be more of what was holding us back as women was our lowered expectations that were kind of raised into us. Does that make sense? you know, oh, you want to, you like medicine, be the nurse. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how it was 25 years mm-hmm. ago. I don't see that so much now, and yet we're still having problems with women going into fields that don't pay as much. And I'm, I'm just struggling with that. I'm just trying to figure out why. Why are, why are we doing that? We see a lot more women in medicine now, but at the same time we see medicine not the lucrative career it used to be 30 years ago.
1: Absolutely. Um, Well, I think going back to our original topic of poverty, I think those two are kind of connected in that oftentimes it's, it's women's circumstances that also prevent them from getting to where they need to go.
0: Right. Okay. Yes, and that makes perfect sense, and that goes back to you know how I opened the show with. I don't. I I can think of just a handful of women that I know personally, or who, who whom I have known in my life, that haven't at some hopefully blessedly briefly, but uh, who have experienced poverty and extreme poverty, um, mm-hmm. and for the lucky ones, it's been a brief period. For some, it's been a lifelong struggle. I mean, I, I
1: think also-, the-
0: also.
1: Go ahead. You know, and and I think what we have to remember is that low-income women are uniquely undervalued, they're overburdened, and they're rendered vulnerable in ways that profoundly impact their way to break free from poverty and to enter some of these fields. Um, And from a legal and policy perspective, there are several factors at play here. You know, for a lot of low-income women, Poverty is compounded by this unrealistic expectation that women simultaneously work to support their families while retaining all or most of their caregiving responsibilities. And and that's something that women face across the spectrum. But where it gets especially challenging for low-income women is that the combination of this expectation with the segregation of women into low-paying jobs creates singular vulnerabilities and and I think that's part a piece of it is that women are segregated into low paying jobs and when you start out there it's really hard to break free and, and and to break that apart a little bit when you talk when we talk about low wage workers they typically have less control over their schedules they're scheduled to work at the last minute they have inconsistent part time hours Um, And the absence of a steady income can also really undermine their ability to qualify for public assistance. Um, And keep in mind that many of these households are single women households, of which over 30% are in poverty, and that's double the percentage of single male households in poverty.
0: Wow. Wow. And it seems to me that, you know, when you said circumstance, many times women are in poverty because of circumstance, I think we live in a, in a society where we really love to blame the victim. We don't think we do, but we do. And so if we mm-hmm. see a woman who's been abused or if we see a woman who's in poverty, we immediately start thinking, well, what did you do to, de- to get there? Why didn't you Mm -hmm. do something different? These must be the results of your choices. This must be your doing. And I think that it's not necessarily a malicious way of looking at people. I think human beings tend to do that because then they feel like they've made, then they're safe from that because they are Mm -hmm. clearly doing things differently. I I don't think it comes from a a mean-spiritedness. But nevertheless, I think we do tend to really look at women who are in poverty as if, They just really haven't made good choices in their lives, or they just really haven't. When in fact, going back to your words, circumstance. Am I on target here, or is this not easy as well?
1: This is definitely what I see as well. Um, and one thing I find ironic is, is really this perpetuation of this falsehood that people in poverty are lazy. Because when you look at the type of work that low-income women typically do, for which they are not paid a living wage, it is particularly stressful and physically demanding work. And we're talking about work in the fields of home health care, child care, nursing, fast food and food preparation, retail sales, warehouse stocking, industrial house cleaning. Um, and this work is essential to our economy and the day-to-day lives of most Americans. And yet it continues to be hugely undervalued. And, you know, I think a key part of this is, is wage. And, and going back, you know, to the statistic I raised earlier, more than two thirds of minimum wage workers are women. So let's take a look at what that means. Um, the federal minimum wage is currently $7.25 an hour, which at a 40 hour work week amounts to an annual salary of a little over $15,000 um, know, based on based on living costs and Particularly inflated housing costs across the United States. You essentially have to be a financial superwoman to budget in order to feed, clothe, house, and care for a family on a salary that automatically leaves, you know, full-time workers below the poverty line. So,
0: well, and if you're a, you know, a woman who is responsible for children and you're making seven dollars, oh, say you say you got a bonus and you're making eight bucks an hour um mm-hmm. how does that allow for, for child care and then you're penalized because okay you get a call from the school and you have to go because johnny's nose is bleeding or Susie got into a fight and there goes your you know credibility at work there goes your reliability at work and so that you're penalized for that um i i don't i do not understand how so many women are miraculously able to do it while they're living in poverty and yet they are um you know i mean some of the statistics that you're giving us are staggering i think absolutely staggering now certainly in many communities um there are help there's help but not that much you know i mean that whole idea of the welfare mom that's pretty much <laughs> that that really isn't uh um too accurate is it that whole stereotype
1: I mean, based on the numbers, I just don't see it, you know, and I completely agree with you. I think if anything, the takeaway is, wow, how are these women doing it? You know, it's incredible. And if you, you know, you step back and you think about what it means, it, it, this is a very challenging, um, it's very challenging
0: so what are we doing to try and meet that challenge? I mean, uh, without some sort of heavy duty political discussion, um, you know, diff- I mean, and I understand that I'm asking a question that kind of varies depending on what geography people are in, but but what are we mm-hmm. as a as a culture? What are, are, first of all, are we viewing women and poverty? Are we even seeing it or are we just so used to it that we don't even see it?
1: Well, at least At Legal Momentum, we see it, and and we work with a lot of other organizations that see it, and there are various different strategies that are in place. Um, Just to back up for a second, in terms of what Legal Momentum, some of the things we're trying to do, first, we provide legal guidance to women who can call us on our helpline, email us, fill out an intake form on our website, and we'll walk them through the situation, inform them about the applicable laws, and give them guidance on ways in which they can speak with their employers, or, or we'll refer them to support services. And you know, what we find often is that many employees and, and low-income women are simply just not aware of their rights, and, and that's a big problem. And just to give you an example, um, I'll tell you a story about a woman we worked with um, who we'll call Erica. Erica was a New York city employee and she called our helpline for assistance. She was a domestic violence victim and she had an order, a order of protection out against her husband. And as part of the court order, her husband was afforded supervised dissertation. So Erica went to her employer to request a change in her schedule so that she could comply with the court order. And her supervisor said, no. When Erica called us for assistance, we informed her that her employer had violated the New York City's human rights law, which requires employers to provide reasonable accommodations to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking, um, unless it would, you know, cause some sort of undue hardship. And so we helped Erica draft a letter in which she notified HR about the law. And ultimately, the result was that she very promptly got her reasonable accommodation. So you know that's a good example that's one of those cases where really education can go a long way obviously not everything works out that way um and you know we're trying to work on various guides on workplace rights in new york state um that are aimed at low-income women and to conduct legal training so that more people are aware of their rights but you know kind of more to your point i think we're engaged in collaborative outreach with organizations across the country to advocate for requisite legislative reforms to advance gender equality in the workplace and to enhance economic security for low-income women. Um, and uh, you know, I'm happy to delve deeper into some of those areas that are really important. Well, and
0: I would like to know some of that, but I'd also like to talk a little bit before we get into that discussion about... Mm-hmm. Um, We've talked about the disproportionate number of women who experience poverty, uh, the fact that a lot Mm -hmm. of them have children that they're trying to support as well, but... Is there, are you aware of any kind of psychological, what are some of the psychological effects of poverty? And it, it, does any of this hit men worse than women? The stereotype, of course, is that, oh, the breadwinner loses his job, you know, he goes into a big mm-hmm. depression, blah, 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 blah. Uh, woman loses her job, well, that's not such a big deal. You know, I mean, that's the old stereotype. Is any of that mm-hmm. still old true? Or, you know, what about the psychological impact of um, poverty for women?
1: well i mean i think the taxing calculations that low income women have to make on a daily basis take a significant psychological and physical toll on women and and recently research shows that low income women do suffer greater anxiety and and they also suffer greater greater physical problems health problems as well as a result of poverty and and that's obviously it, it's a complex Um, analysis because, you know, as I had mentioned, poverty kind of adds on layers. So you're dealing with all this anxiety, but also because you're in poverty, you have access, you don't have access to the best health care, right? And so all of that stuff adds up.
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Plus, you're not just worried about yourself. You're worried about your kids and your family and all that kind of stuff. One of the things that um, I, I'd like to address is over the last couple of decades, there's been such an emphasis on, um, um, well, the STEM and uh, um, uh, focus and different um, ways to not limit young girls as we raise them, et cetera. But it occurs to me, I was listening to my daughter talk, and, and she was talking about her career trajectory, and I thought mm-hmm. for how many millennia did women not worry about a career trajectory they worried about getting a job <laughs> you know what i'm saying
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: um are we and and it's not just women i mean i feel the same way about men um but we're talking about women so you know let's focus on that um is it realistic that every woman will have a career i mean aren't a number of women just going to have a job that will pay the bills and the mortgage and hopefully give them you know, a little bit of fun as well. Uh, what, what are we doing with this expectation of the career trajectory? Uh, what does, you know, what's that going to do to me if I am in a career that pays crummy? Or, or I, I'm phrasing it awkwardly, but are you kind of getting the sense of what I'm asking?
1: Right. No, I, I think there, obviously, that goes to almost a broader economic issue of, of how do we balance everybody's expectations and especially in our current economy you know, when we're looking at the number of women that are working minimum wage jobs it, it, it's not unfortunately it's not realistic that you know women are going to get to follow their intended career trajectory do what, do what you love you know. and the
0: money will follow you know i mean <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. you're That's really lucky right
1: you know. Yeah, um, and that's just so not I'm wondering, an option. Does
0: that, does that expectation that everyone will have a career that's wonderful and earth-shattering and socially significant, and uh, you know, is that adding to some of the pressure that a low bottom line is already creating for women? Do you think?
1: Personally, I don't think so. I think that's we should aspire big. We should always aspire big, and and that should be our goal. Our goal should be that. Every woman, you know, can follow her intended career trajectory. It's it's a beautiful concept, really, um, and and that's you know. But it, it's going to take small steps. And right now, we're we're just working on making sure that women have equal access to the workplace, and that women in the workplace are not discriminated against, and that women can have a job and have a child at the same time. And you know, so I think. The goal is, yes, why, why not have that be your ultimate goal to eventually get there? In the meantime, we've got kind of smaller goals we're working on.
0: Sure. I notice I, I was raised, um, if not in poverty, certainly not in luxury, um, and uh, with uneducated parents. And I have often commented that the difference that I see in my life and the, um, the lives of other people I know and have been married to, et cetera, who were raised with more opportunity, is the difference in seeing possibilities. Um, for example, if I, I, I remember once I was writing for a small community newspaper, and I said to a friend who was raised in wealth, and I said, well, the editor could be doing this and could be doing that. And she said, well, you should just buy it. You should do those things. And I started laughing because I was barely getting by, and I went, I should buy the newspaper. But in her world, of course, that would work. That would be something you'd look toward doing. In my world, it was people don't buy newspapers. And it struck me how differently we viewed possibilities because of our economic backgrounds. When we're talking about such a huge population of women in in our world, in our country, who are living in poverty and who are having to adjust their day-to-day lives, I'm worried about how that affects how they view possibility. And maybe that's a little bit too airy-fairy of a discussion um, for us to address, but I'm wondering if maybe some of Legal Momentum's programs are kind of inadvertently addressing that issue. Could you talk a little bit more about the programs and the things that Legal Momentum do does?
1: Um, Well, sure. I think in terms of, you know, what we're trying to do at this point in time is to really try to address structural and systemic systemic barriers at their core. You know, women need comprehensive support, which means we need to enact comprehensive legislative reform. Um, And, you know, I, I don't know if some of our work, directly addresses that issue. But I do know that, you know, there are programs that that seek to advance women's businesses, for example. So you may be low income, but the idea is that you should be able to still run your own business. And, And I think in some areas it might, there's, this view that it might be easier for you to do that than than to enter the workforce in the traditional way. So I think there are a lot of creative ways in which low-income women can earn an income. Um, But going back to the types of things that Legal Momentum is working on, you know, as a legal organization, we're looking to push certain laws that kind of level the playing field for women. So let's talk about paid family leave, for example. Um, to help address what is referred to as the motherhood penalty, it's really essential that families, both men and women, are afforded equal opportunity to take paid family leave, to bond with a new child and to care for ailing relatives. And in some states, we're also seeing provisions that cover instances where a family member has been called to active military duty. Um, And and the inability to take this leave in a job can really be crippling for low-income families. So Legal Momentum has worked with a broad coalition of organizations to push forward paid family leave legislation in New York and across the country. And, you know, I'm I'm delighted to say that in New York, the state legislature recently signed into law a comprehensive paid family leave bill that will provide benefits as of January 1st, 2018. And it'll do so eventually by 2021 for up to 12 weeks of of leave. Um, And I believe there are now, approximately 40 jurisdictions across the country that have paid family leave benefits in place some like New Jersey are working on improving them and and this month Washington state recently passed its own family and medical leave bill that i believe is set to go into effect by 2020 so you know we see this movement to Push forward paid family leave as a huge opportunity for legal momentum and other organizations to really get out there and, and raise awareness on the issue and, and to educate men and women about these new benefits that are available to them.
0: Okay, I have a question about that though, because so often, you know, when we were talking when we were talking about women having the being the waitresses and the minimum wage jobs and all that kind of stuff, so often those are the kind of jobs and the small companies that are excluded from having to provide these kinds of benefits. And I guess it's understandable because if you're a small mom and pop operation, how could you afford to have? Mm-hmm. If say you have two employees, how could you afford to have? one employee mm-hmm. not working and still being paying that person. So, I mean, I understand mm-hmm. the concept behind it, but mm-hmm. if there, if, if so many women are employed in these, these other minimum wage jobs, will these kinds of benefits like paid family leave really benefit them? How, was how the, well,
1: way- yeah, well, just to clarify. So in, and every state is obviously has a different type of law, but in New York state, um, I believe it might be for five or more employees, um, an employer who has five or more employees. And and it depends. You're right. There are limitations in terms of the number of um, hours that a person works and, and the number of days throughout the year that a person works. So there are going to be limitations. But at the same time, you know, we take it one step at a time. And um, one of the other aspects of it is that it's, it's, based on contributions that are made by the employee so So it's not going to be something that
0: industries kind of thing
1: well you know the employer has to buy a certain form of insurance and the employees contribute to that insurance fund and then you know the deductions are taken and over time you build up and then you well not over time but as of 2018 the deductions will start to be taken and if, if if someone needs paid family leave they should they are um, guaranteed that right under law if they're eligible. So,
0: it would be more like you know, an I insurance think claim kind of thing.
1: It would, it would be right. I mean, you would just be, I, I guess, I don't know.
0: Okay, <laughs> I guess I'm asking real <laughs> questions that i that I need to, but it was just kind of curious to me because I used to be a small business owner and and so yeah. I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if I had three employees and if one of them left and I had to pay yeah. that person, that would really i mean I was barely getting income myself. How would I do mm-hmm. that? but mm-hmm. for labor and industries, I would pay into that, and then if a person had an industrial accident, that became an insurance claim, and so my premiums paid right for their exactly, mhm. So that's what I'm asking because that makes a lot more economic sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. All right. I just understand that. Now, I'm out here in the Pacific Northwest where we have some very – uh, prestigious companies uh high tech companies mm-hmm. and uh at least one i think possibly two of these these companies uh announced with great grand uh ground uh, uh, fanfare rather uh recently that they were implementing family and and um you know paternity leave and things like that that was paid mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then when you found out about it, it was only for the upper echelon employees it wasn't for the lower echelon um right and so that kind do you see that frequently where it's just the 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 big wage earners that are getting some of these benefits
1: yeah i think you know and that's one of the reasons why it's so important to have legislation in place and and obviously you know right now there's a lot of forward momentum at the state and local levels to implement these types of per- protections, um, but we really need to be pushing also for these changes to occur at the federal level because I I think it's very important for protections to be uniform across the board. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well we kind of beat that one to death but I was very interested in hearing (laughs) about that. So, um, sorry if I made you stay a little longer on that than you wanted. What are some of the other things
1: that
0: has been working on?
1: So, I think you know, to another big issue, and I had talked about the particular difficulties that low-income workers face with their hours and schedules. And Legal Momentum has been working with a coalition to advocate for fair and flexible work schedules. And the types of protections include advanced scheduling requirements, guarantees of sufficient hours, and limitations on last-minute schedule changes. And and these are the types of laws that you know, have been adopted in D.C. and California and Vermont and San Francisco and New York City. I I don't have a comprehensive list, but, you know, there is a push to try to address some of the vulnerabilities that low-income workers face, and oftentimes these are workers in fast food and retail, so that's kind of a key area. Um, Another important area is is support and, and I didn't talk about this earlier, but providing support for victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking. Um I think to add a whole nother layer to this, low-income women are also more likely to be survivors of domestic violence or sexual violence, which can impose different types of vulnerabilities. And at legal momentum, we've seen that domestic violence and sexual assault often Impact low-income girls at a young age, and that can follow them and create vulnerabilities throughout their lives. Um, and you know, to put out a couple scenarios: a lack of financial resources or eligible immigration status may mean that a woman remains in an abusive relationship. Conversely, an abusive relationship may cause a woman to flee her abuser and to risk homelessness or to enter the shelter system. Um, and now, Heather, imagine having to get up in the middle of the night, secretly grab your children, leave with little or no money in your pocket, and then having to usher your small children into the shelter system, which poses its own threats and, and where many women must remain, often for long periods of time due to lack of affordable housing options. Um, you know it's just a terrible set of circumstances that many women have to endure. And, you know, I, I gave you the example of Erica and how we were able to help her by just kind of advising her of the laws. Um, but mm, What we also need is our our broader set of state laws that prohibit employers from discriminating against employees based on their status as survivors of domestic violence or sex offenses um, and that provide reasonable accommodations to such employees so that they can seek the assistance they need. Um, Legal Momentum has been pushing for this and advocating for this and we have a, a very useful state law guide on our website that Um, is very helpful in in walking employees through any applicable laws or protections so they can invoke them when they find that they're trying to seek an accommodation at work.
0: Yeah, And, and some employers are required. I mean, there are certain requirements of employers, and that is actually what I'm doing my dissertation on. And a lot of employers don't understand that they have obligations, that there are Rules and laws that they have to follow when dealing with domestic violence situations uh, with employees. So you know, it's not that's no small thing. Made me think, though, um, what often happens with uh, you know uh, intimate partner violence situations is that women will lose jobs in some states where there are not protections, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and there's high absences because of court or daycare or whatever.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: Women, you know, have a very high job turnover. What part Mm -hmm. does job stability have in poverty?
1: I think it has a a very large impact because it's exactly what you point out. Um, In the domestic violence context, um, women have to go to court or often have to take time off of work to go to court or seek counseling or to seek medical attention. And it can be surprising how unsympathetic employers are in these scenarios. Similarly, we discussed this kind of briefly before, but there's the child care scenario, which is women, low-income women have to take care of their children, and they have to try to find affordable child care options, of which there are really not many. And it's not just about it being affordable, it's about it being adequate, if not good, child care. And so, you know, I think these are some of the challenges face, and, and, and it's not just a challenge in terms of maintaining your employment, it's also a challenge in terms of breaking into the workforce. Um, and, and that's an area, child care assistance, specifically um, the appropriation of, of subsidies, to find for subsidies for childcare that's a very important component of, of the benefits we really need to be pushing for so that so that women can get certain the type of support they need to enter the workforce and to remain in the workforce.
0: exactly um, one of the things that we haven't discussed and I would like to uh, while we still have time is the age difference i when I was growing up, many many older women Lost their homes. They were in poverty. There was that whole thing about you know the, you know the old lady in the garret eating the can of cat food. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we didn't see that so much. And I was stunned right. to read not too long ago that the highest increase in poverty is among older women today.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you
0: speak about that at all? Because we're we're ta- kind of talking about the career trajectory, but if you live right. in life in poverty. You know, you're not you're not saving for that 501k. You know, if you're spending, mm-hmm. the, you know, your entire paycheck on, you know, food and rent, uh, you know, forget the 501k, forget about the IRA, forget about all that stuff. So then all of a right. sudden, one day it happens when you can't go to work anymore, and then what do you have as a woman?
1: That's exactly right. And and I had mentioned in the beginning that the disproportionate Effects of poverty are cumulative, and and that essentially means that low-income women are subject to disadvantages that add up, and you know, in ways that per- perpetuate disadvantage over time. And 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 one example is that, for you know, if you're making minimum wage, or if you aren't making, earning an income that affects you down the road when you're trying to apply for social security benefits. Um, and similarly, going back to the point about the psychological and physical toll of poverty, um, women suffer greater health problems. And that's going to also affect you throughout your life and result in healthcare costs. And um, so there, there are very different variables at play, um, but they certainly add up. And, and that does mean that we have a very high rate of poverty among our our population of older women. And and I think conversely, something that's worth pointing out is that we find that when women are in poverty, children are in poverty. And consequ- consequently, we have one of the highest child poverty rates among developed nations, which it, it's really shameful.
0: Um, when... The, the, I haven't done the scene studies, but does poverty create poverty? Does does poverty result in poverty? Um, is this a cyclical thing? Is this uh, some sort of whirlpool that when you get into it, it's extremely difficult to get out?
1: I think overall, the effects of everything we talked about and is ultimately an entrenchment of systemic barriers to progress that do prevent low-income women from moving out of poverty. Um, and, and the effects are far reaching. That being said, I think we're pushing forward. Um, we keep fighting and we move ahead and we're working on in, on these various fronts to kind of create more opportunities for women to assert themselves to enter the workforce and and to keep their jobs.
0: For the older woman, who for whom probably um, you know, I mean, there's only so many Walmart greeters that are needed, aren't there? There are there are probably not a lot of opportunities um, for further employment. Um, Is Legal Momentum looking at that issue? Is that something you can't tackle at this point, or?
1: I I don't believe that's something in specifically we're looking at at the moment, but you know I I think just to think about that, you know, there are a lot of cultural shifts that have to occur, and and just because someone's older doesn't mean um, they're unable to do, you know, skilled, complex work. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, but realistically, the opportunities are not going to be as available. Um, For one thing, you know, you get older, you can't waitress for 12 hours a day, you know, I mean, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So that's what I was thinking of. If if you've been the waitress your whole life, dependent on tips, um, you know, making, if you're lucky as a waitress, minimum wage. Um, and then you right. get to be 65, 70, and mm-hmm. they start looking at you funny because you're not getting the orders up as fast. Right. Uh, it, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a scary, I think it must be very scary um, for women yes, who absolutely. are alone. Yes, the other thing mm-hmm. that we didn't talk about too much is, you know, what does marriage have to do with uh, poverty? Now, you already said that that it gave us a statistic about most of these women who are in poverty are are single women. Is that correct?
1: Well, I, I, yeah, a large percentage of women in poverty are single, single woman households, and it's about 30.6%, I think, compared to something like 15% for men who are in single male households. Yeah.
0: So we So yes,
1: there is people.
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, to a large extent, single women who are living in poverty. Um, so, right. w- what's the answer for this? What you know, if, if somebody's listening to this show and they're going, "Yeah, well, I know so and so, and you know, my my grandmother, you know, lived in poverty." And blah blah blah. blah. I mean, clearly, you your organization is interested in some social advocacy and legal advocacy for this kind mm-hmm. of situation. Can you think of other things? Can you think of other things your organization is doing to uh, deal with women in poverty, or can you think? of other organizations that are doing things
1: well you know to to circle back to some of the things I mentioned before I legal momentum as well as other organizations are you know oftentimes have helplines we have a helpline where women can call us and we can walk them through the situation and try to provide guidance Um, we also have historically engaged in impact litigation so you know if an issue arises, we can challenge it in court. Um, and then as I mentioned we we work on on legislative reform and and trying to reform policies and to really raise visibility on on some of these issues. Um, and I think you know on, on a in terms of everyday people, there are a lot of things that people can do. People can contact their local um, state or federal um, representatives to really support this type of reform. They can donate to organizations like Legal Momentum or to organizations that provide support services to low-income women, um, and they can become educated about I, I think it's also important for people to become educated about their own rights and to start asserting them. I think the more women that assert their rights in the workplace and elsewhere, um, the less difficult it will be for us to do so. And, and then I think for both men and women, it's important for us to just think differently about our caretaking responsibilities. You know, men need to start thinking critically about what their role is in the home because, you know, when that call comes in that a child's sick, um, is it always, you know, the woman who's going to be taking off early from work to go do that, um, when it comes to a child being born, is it the woman who's going to be taking leave to care for the child um, and to bond with the child? I and mean, these are things that I, I think many women do by choice, but um, it should not be assumed. And I, I think we need to think about that more critically.
0: Yeah. I think that the other thing that uh, it strikes me, you know, knowing a lot of married women, knowing a lot of single women, it seems to me that sometimes you know i mean what's the divorce rate right now 50 50 uh you know it seems to me sometimes when when we women marry we kind of think we don't have to worry about stuff like poverty anymore and yet somehow for at least 50 percent of the married women it comes back and with divorce uh comes you know financial issues that slap you right across the face so what about marriage and poverty uh, i mean is it are, are there things that that women should be looking at uh, as far as their economic situation, even if they um, have a primary breadwinner that isn't them? I, what kinds of things should we be aware of as women? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, is there an escape to this other than uh, some pretty good luck and some good planning and some uh, nice opportunities? What, what should we be looking at as women?
1: I mean, I think as women, obviously, it's different for every woman. And the calculations she makes in her life are going to be different. But I think at the end of the day, you know, every woman has to be aware of the vulnerabilities. And and we should be thinking about what it means for us to be in the workplace, even if that's not something we need to be doing at a particular time. Um, and so I think that means that we all need to be aware of these various different areas of discrimination that exist and really pushing to equal the playing field. Because yes, one day you may not be in the workforce and the next day you may have to be there. And I think many women find themselves in that that place.
0: Well, and is that going back to what you're talking about, about circumstance, um, you know, what, w- when we started this conversation, you said that, you know, oftentimes, I, I think so- culturally or, or socially, we tend to blame women who are in that way. Uh, we pity them briefly on the surface, but underneath, we're really thinking, well, you just made really stupid choices, didn't you? You know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, that's how I see it anyway. Um, but you mm-hmm. said, no, it's, you know, circumstance, circumstances. What are some of those circumstances? We just talked about clearly, you know, divorce, that's a a fantastic one. That's a very common one. Uh, What are some other circumstances that can occur that thrust women into poverty?
1: Well, I mean, I think looking at it from kind of a stepping back and looking at it from a broader perspective, I think equal pay, for example, you know, and I mentioned earlier another issue, which was segregation into low paying jobs that historically, I think has helped push women into poverty because there, you know, and I think it was the executive director of um, UN women who wrote an article in which she pointed out that, for example, um, golf caddies, that's a male dominated job um, make about, $17 $17 an hour versus caregivers who are predominantly female make $9 an hour. So for whatever reason, I mean, if you think about it, and this may be revealing my, my own biases here, but to be honest, I think caregiving is a much more difficult task or at least more essential than and then being a golf caddy. So why is there yeah. such a huge differential there? I don't really get it. Um, I, I think that's a big problem. Um, and, and that's something that Legal Momentum has focused on and, and has tried to bring more visibility to. But uh, on the other end of it, it's also just a simple matter of, of equal pay and, and not having equal pay. And, you know, we know that women make approximately 80 cents per every dollar earned by a man. And and this is despite the fact that the Equal Pay Act of 1963 mandates equal pay for equal work. Um, and this is, this is in part because employers can assert various defenses that essentially deflate the law. For example, they can succeed um, if they can demonstrate that the differential salary, the difference in salary was based on any factor other than sex. And as a result, women continue to be paid less than men, and this pattern becomes entrenched since employers then frequently rely on employee salary history to set salaries going forward. Um, And Legal Momentum is working in collaboration with other local organizations to push forward legislation to ban employer inquiries into prior salary history. And that's another area of progression um, at the local and state levels. Um, This type of provision is already in place in New York City, and um, we also need to be pushing for stronger federal legislation that kind of closes the leap- loopholes that I spoke about in, in the Equal Pay Act.
0: Well, and bless you for that one. Boy, I, I wish nobody would ever ask, what would it, what did you make before? Because, you know, it's none of your business, really. Um, you know, you should right. say, this is what this job is worth, and that's what that job is worth, and leave us alone. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. You a, a price right. between us. What you know? I mean, you don't mm-hmm. go into you know buy a new television and say, well, my last television I only paid you know four hundred and fifty dollars for it. So you know, <laughs> I don't care how fancy this one is. Right. The most I'll do is four fifty five. Okay, right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an interesting world, though, isn't it? Right. Isn't
1: it? Absolutely. If I'm a young girl
0: today, yeah. what on or What would you? recommend to me? What if I'm a young woman deciding whether to go to college or not to go to college? From the standpoint of poverty, what recommendation would you give?
1: That's a really tough one. I mean, at at the end of the day, the idealist in me would say, do it. You know, try to do it, whatever you can. And And, and I think honestly, I think you know, I can't say what the outcome will be, but depending on the state you're in, depending on the locality that you're in, there are various different types of benefits that are available to you. So if you're a young girl in poverty, I think the goal is to keep working hard, keep pushing forward and and trying to avail yourself of any scholarships um, and benefits that are available to you. That being said, you know, we know, we know, we also know their reality, which going back to the original point, which is that the reason many women are in poverty is, is not for lack of trying. It's because yeah. of circumstances. So
0: and I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I do, I really do. I, I think that we live in a, you know, it, it's kind of funny because a few years ago everything was, well, don't be judgmental, don't be judgmental, um, and and yet I believe that we are in an extremely judgmental era. Um, when we see people with circumstances, we kind of have this superficial empathy that we like to extend, but I think deep in our little black hearts, we tend to really blame other folks <laughs> if they're in poverty mm-hmm. or if they, you know. Am I just yeah. jaded here? No,
1: absolutely. <laughs> no, no, it's that's absolutely the case. And I, you know, I that's a misconception. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a misconception. Absolutely. We have to keep fighting.
0: Yes, and I agree with you. If somebody we're almost out of time, I can't believe it. Um when if somebody <laughs> wants to contact Legal Momentum, where do they go?
1: So, um if they can call us, our phone number is two one two nine two five six six and for our helpline, the extension is 650. They can also email us at peo at legalmomentum.org, or they can visit our website, which is legalmomentum.org. And if they are specifically seeking legal assistance, we have a get help tab that they can click on and um, that will give them more guidance. But on our website, we have, like I had mentioned, a host of resources, um, including a pregnancy map, a fabulous pregnancy map that allows women to go and you can click on your state and you can um, learn what pregnancy, what Protections exist. Legal protections exist in your state if you're a pregnant worker in terms of um, accommodations.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And then you also mentioned that you also have the link for the domestic violence accommodations or requirements.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. We also yeah. have a state guide that will um, let you know in your state what legal protections exist if you in the workplace if you were a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, or stalking. Wow. Among Sounds countless like other Yes, it's it's yeah. very useful.
0: It I've enjoyed our conversation. I think we've kind of been all over the board a little bit, but that's okay. I kind of I kinda of like that myself. So I hope that we covered everything that you wanted to share with us today during this conversation, Sierra.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This was great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Heather.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, Sihar. Uh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I swear I'm gonna butcher your name. I know I am. Saher <laughs> Kawaju. Did I say it right?
1: Pretty much. It's Sahara Kawaja. It's it's very close.
0: Okay. Cool. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for that. I'm,
1: no, I'm you, not at all. These want name no,
0: Thank you so not much for all. sharing your expertise. Thank you for sharing what Legal Momentum is doing. And the next time, you know, you see somebody in poverty, you know, try not to be too judgmental about it because they're but for the grace of God, as they say. We always end our show with a quote, and this is a long one. I apologize in advance for it, but it's from Little Women. And it's from one of the girls who's commenting on their loss of, of status and their loss of money. She one discovered that money couldn't keep shame and sorrow out of rich people's houses. Others that, though she was poor, she was a great deal happier with her youth, health, and good spirits than uh, than a certain fretful, feeble old lady who couldn't enjoy her comforts. So I guess what I'm saying there is, you know, if you're poor, (laughs) we're with you, but realize that there are in fact some worse things so try to make the most of it if you can and let's get out there let's do things like following legal momentum let's go to things where we're trying to change this for another generation of women and for women ourselves especially us old women because i'm getting there (laughs) so thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the conversation we'll be back next week on three women three ways